As a marketer, do you ever have that wave of anxiety come over you as you wonder whether those leads you're delivering are actually turning into revenue? Often, marketing is expected to drive revenue, but their goals stop at leads and they never make the connection to revenue. And when this happens, marketing performance is subjective and everyone gets an opinion. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about how to plan for demand and revenue targets and how to build a demand model that will ease your anxiety and allow you to deliver marketing performance all the way down to revenue. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So Jason, this has been one of our best performing pieces of content. So I feel no shame in running this back again because for people who have not seen this before, it is still as relevant as ever. And I think the biggest thing is we've learned a bit on how our model has evolved over time and there's more that we can share. Yeah, it's... It's kind of reminiscent of conversation ads and how often we were talking about that for a while. But people like and even with conversation ads, people are still asking for more content about that. And so um, when you guys told me that the session about the demand model was either the or one of the most viewed from our demand conference last year, I was actually surprised. You know, it's very it's a pretty tactical topic. Um, but maybe it's because it's so tactical that literally you could walk away from this and go build a demand model uh, when you're done. And so I don't know, but people want it, we'll, we'll give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't seen the demand model before, we've got a few different pieces of content on it. We will link out to it for this episode when we release it, but we've got a template that you can use and a few different how to's of how to make sure that you're planning for your demand and revenue targets as best as you can. So uh, we'll get you started. Now, before we jump into the lesson, I'm real big on story time. We've gotten some good feedback that people enjoy the stories. So you were not Mr. Demand Model before <laughs> metadata, right? No. And it's surprising because I'm an ops guy, right? And so you would think that uh, the ops leader would have that down and would have had experience with like building a demand model. And it was kind of funny. Um, when, you know, when I first started here with Matt Cannell, um, he built our first demand model and basically had to walk me through how to build one, you know, and it was like, well, why, why haven't I done these before? And I think it's because all the places that I worked at, most of these big companies, you had a team they, of 70 people. <laughs> I know. And we didn't have a demand model. And that was what's surprising to me. And there probably was one maybe somewhere where I didn't even see it, but like, we didn't have that connection from revenue up through marketing, you know what I mean? And so like, I think it was because most of the places, these big companies that I worked at, they were in that trap that we talk about sometimes of like having huge sales organizations and having built these huge sales orgs, like because they were sales led. And then the marketing goals are drafted off of like, oh, okay, we have 10 sales reps. Each sales rep can handle X number of meetings in a week times four in a month. So, hey, marketing, that's your goal is based on the number of reps we have and how much, how many, you know, how much activity they need to stay fed and busy. Um, and so we never even really made that connection. It's like, well, how do I know that that's the number of leads that you need, you know what I mean, to get to that revenue number? And honestly, even in these big companies, I didn't have that, that connection. We didn't have that connection. So without getting too much into the details, because I know we definitely will on this episode, let's take a step back first and let's just explain what a demand model is and why you need it. Yeah, so 
demand model. I guess uh, the simplest way to describe it is it's a model that helps you plan, I guess, the activities and some of the like leading indicator metrics that you need to deliver to meet a specific revenue target. Um, and so if you say like, okay, the, comp the company's ultimate goal is revenue, right? And, um, and to get to that revenue, certain activities have to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those activities are sales meetings, demos, demo requests, marketing activities, you know, events, etc. So, um, and if you can trace that all the way up or down or up, whichever way you want to go, you can basically get to the point where you say, okay, I can start with this goal of revenue and I know conversion rates and average volumes and, you know, deal sizes, and I can work my way back up to the number of demos I need to deliver to ideally make that happen. If you, and there's lots of ways of, to do this. So like a demand model for company A can be completely and wildly different than a demand model for company B. But the gist is it's a model that helps you understand how much activity you need to drive to basically get to your company's revenue targets. So I'm going to go off script here for a second, but you mentioned something that I think is important because I've lived in this world before and I know that others are probably living in that world right now. What's the benefit of doing this from like the top down and the bottom up? Yeah, and we should probably define those two things because oftentimes people get those yeah, perfect. confused. Um, and so a top down is basically where somebody above you hands you a number and then you and that's the top and you basically work that down to like what resources do i need to basically deliver this and that usually is kind of the foundation of your budget or your resource model or something like that bottoms up is basically saying okay with the resources you're giving me i'm at the bottom now let me work my way up and tell you how much I can give you at the top based on that. Both are wrong. You know what I mean? Like both ways are not great. And often, and this is a very consistent exercise, is you do both. And then you kind of see where are we off. And if you're not too far off, great. Usually that's okay. Oftentimes you're wildly off. And then that's and when you're starting to like... <laughs> oh man, we're like millions of dollars off here. And then you get into these hard conversations because you're, yeah, you're like, I'm using historical data. Do you expect me to make like an order of magnitude change? You know what I mean? This year in one of these to like get to this level. And so it starts to, yeah, it's, it can foster some interesting conversations. <laughs> I liked your first definition on the, the top down. That was great. <laughs> uh, so let's get into it. Because I imagine many people who might be listening to this episode for the first time or have not seen our demand model content before, they may have not ever built a demand model before. So how do you get started building a demand model out your first time? Yeah, and you know, just like a lot of things, you wanna start pretty simply. Um, and not because you suck at it, <laughs> but there's actually a reason why you should start simply. And it's because, like, let's say your very first demand model, you're like, all right, here's the 
hundred metrics I can use and put into this thing and like, ah, oh, just refine it and I, I get it down to the penny, you know? And then you exit Wait, that quarter. Marketers, w- marketers would do that. They would measure everything. <laughs> I don't know. I which probably not. Out of the gate. Hope, <laughs> if you do, yeah, you're, if you do, you're wrong. But like getting it to that and then, you know, it's down to this like penny. <laughs> but like then you exit the quarter and you're like, oh, it's off. Where is it off? You know what I mean? Like, okay, now I have to go look at these hundred metrics that I put into the model and figure out like, where was I wrong? Whereas if you start more simply like five metrics and two conversion rates or something like that, then it's pretty easy. It's like, and you start with these like big blunt instrument KPIs. Um, then at the end of the quarter, you're like, okay, we were off in this area. Let me go in there, figure out where it was. And then now let me add maybe a couple of other data points in there into the model that can correct for where we were off last quarter. Um, and also, because a lot of times when you're just, if you don't have a demand model and you're just starting to build one, you're going to realize like, oh, a lot of these inputs are wrong. You know what I mean? Or like they're dirty and I can't quite use them. And so that's another reason why you don't want to, because if you, you know, if you use dirty data in your model, um, God help you. <laughs> you're not, I mean, if you use dirty data in the model, you're not going to, you're not going to end up where you want to be, you know? And so, yeah. So I'll let you get back on your dirty data soapbox in a little bit, but I've got our demand model template up and I'm looking at our show notes right now. And I think we've got about 11 different inputs for our demand model, but in order to start simple, there's really five big inputs that you need. So can you walk me through what those inputs are? Um, now I have to guess which five you're thinking. All right. Well, let's quiz you. <laughs> no. well, I'm already off. There's let six. Let me think. Let me so. think. <laughs> so and hold I'm on. trying to for think back record, to my first. For the record, Jason wrote this outline, so this is even better. But all right, you're, yeah, you're being quizzed. Um, I'm trying to think back. Okay. So, okay. The most basic model. You, I mean, you need, you need goals first, right? So you need to know where you're going. So that we'll just assume that's not data inputs. I mean, they really are. Correct. Let's say you yeah. know your goals. You know your goals. That's not historical data. This is the historical kind of data that you need. So <clears throat> I know my goals and those are based in revenue. Great. Well, the first thing I need to do is I need to knock that revenue down to some kind of count of something that needs to happen, right? Well, when does revenue occur? When an opportunity happens. So to get to the number of, of opportunities, I need to know my ASP. So that's the first one. Check. Um, cool. So average selling price, and I can divide that into my revenue needs, and then that gives me the number of opportunities. Um, now, what happens before an opportunity? Well, usually meetings and stuff like that. So I need to know my close rate, you know? So like, Check. Um, okay, cool. Because um, that's a percentage, like, uh, okay, if I need 10 opportunities divided by the conversion rate, then it's going to tell me the number of maybe meetings, probably, you know, like if I've got a meeting to opportunity or a demo to opportunity, demo meeting to opportunity conversion rate. Cool. Okay. So now I know the number of meetings that I need to have. So before a meeting is a demo request, probably. And so to get to the demo request, I need my conversion rate from demo request to meeting had probably, I mean, you could go meeting book, but meeting had is probably better. Check. So that's the other one I need. Okay, cool. The demo to, to meeting rate. Um, and then to get to a demo. Now, ideally for us, 
the demo is that first, like that first number, the first KPI, because we don't do leads. But if you do leads, then you also, and a lot of companies still do, you need to know what your lead to demo request rate is. Um, and then that tells you how many leads you need to deliver. And I think that's probably about, that's, that's, the, that's what you need for the most basic model right there. All right, I think, I've, got right? Two that, I think I've got two that Professor Woodup forgot here. Uh, the first <laughs> is meeting to opportunity conversion rate. Um, I know you oh, yeah. demo into meeting and lead to demo. And then the last one, which I think is very important for this, is uh, length of sales cycle on average. And we can get into why that's so important because we'll get into story time too. Like we've run into that before where based on the length of your sales cycle, you know, you can't always expect that what you're going to be creating in quarter is also going to close in quarter. Uh, and we'll explain why in a bit. Yeah, that's a that's another tough topic to handle. That's the probably for me the hardest piece to handle in the model. So yeah, a good one to talk talk through. So we've got all of those data inputs, and I think we kind of glanced over setting goals. So let's just make an assumption that you're a software company. What are some of these goals that you need to have in hand uh, to make this demand model work? Yeah, um, I mean the ultimate goal is 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 revenue, of course. Um, but to figure out like, and that's the company goal. And now you're trying to get to okay, well, that's the company goal. Well, what's marketing's responsibility in that? Um, and that really comes down to, I don't know if this is philosophy or, you know what I mean? Like internally, like how your, your, your relationship with sales. So like marketing shouldn't be responsible for a hundred percent of de the demand model or the, of the demand needed. Um, is there places like that in B2B? I don't even, I mean, if there is somebody tell me if somebody's a hundred percent marketing driven <laughs> in B2B, like, let me know, that'd be cool. Um, so assuming that's not the case, then like you're responsible for some percent of that revenue. And um, what's interesting too to think about in this is, you know, let's say you need to add $3 million of revenue in a quarter. Well, not all of that is gonna come from net new, right? So like you got existing customers and you're either gonna help yourself or fuck yourself with your churn rate Based on like, you know, so if you actually are doing well with your customers and they want to up, you know, they're upselling, they're spending more money because you're delivering value, then your need on the net new acquisition goes down. And that, and so you need to know that to set the goals as well. It's like, well, how much can I expect from our existing customers? You know, and so like you're looking to your customer success org for the customer success org actually holds a revenue goal as well. You know, they need to have net retention, especially if you're a growing, uh, you know, successful MarTech company, you need to have your net retention rate above 100%. And so right there, that's going to chip away, you know what I mean, at the like the net new dollars you need to bring in. And so that also is you need to bake that in when you're setting your goals. Um, and then like, I like to be very conservative when setting the goals, just so that we just, you know, if something goes wrong, I don't like to be that goal setter that's like, if everything goes right, I'm like, I'm the cup half empty goal setter. You know what I mean? Like, because if you're, if you're like, oh no, you know, yeah, I think I can really improve that conversion rate by this percent. And oh yeah, we can get that ASP up to this. Okay, maybe. Uh, but you know, why don't you, why don't you try to do that? But plan for the current, you know what I mean? So plan for the current 
like historical rates that you're getting. And then if you can improve that, great. Guess what? You can do a little bit less up front. But don't plan for that and just like assume you're gonna make that. You're gonna just gonna start kind of behind the curve. So just a couple like anecdotes, you know, in terms of like how do you set goals? Of course you're gonna use numbers and stuff, but those are just some considerations. Use numbers and stuff. Hopefully that turns into a social clip. <laughs> uh, all right, so I think another question here is, this is not a set it and forget it type thing. So, you know, maybe the answer is a little bit different now, you know, our team is seven strong and we've got a senior demand gen manager, but like how often should people be looking at this demand model when they first start out? Is it daily? I hope not. Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Is it quarterly? Like walk us through that. Yeah. Um, if you carry high anxiety, like I do sometimes, <laughs> you check, you, you update it like once a week. Uh, I stopped doing that quite a while ago. Um, I would even update it, you know, so, and we haven't talked about the sales cycle thing, but you know, we're about a quarter ahead, you know, so we're trying to deliver demand for the, you know, 90 days ahead or so. But I would also build, so I would build the demand model for the current quarter too. And what I would hope to see is negative need, right? So like what I would, I would update it and like, oh, here's all the pipeline we have currently. Here's the close rate on that pipeline. Here's all this stuff. And then in the quarter, I would expect to see a negative, like, oh, you need negative demo requests. Cause that would tell me like, okay, we're ahead of the curve. We have enough pipeline in this quarter. So I would look at that, you know, probably once a month during the quarter, just to make sure like, okay, it's holding true. You know, we don't have to try and like jam in some demand for this quarter. Um, and then the future quarter one, oftentimes I wouldn't, I wouldn't even start to, you know, I would do it once in the beginning of the quarter. And then I would look at it again, kind of towards the end of that quarter again, cause we're driving demand for the future just to make sure like, did we get there? But we're, you know, we were measuring ourselves kind of on the way up. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think once a month, you know, is probably a good, you know, time frame to update it. And then once a quarter, you want to get in there and like really interrogate it a bit and kind of figure out like, because you end the quarter, you see what the actuals were. And then you go back and you start to like map your model against the actuals and see what was true and what wasn't. And that's where you can start to like, oh, all right, we used an ASP of 50,000 for last month, but it actually ended up being 60,000 sweet you know what i mean so then like maybe this quarter if we think that's gonna that's that can hold we can plan for that and we'll need less activity beneath that you know what i mean because the asp just went up and man we did actually live through that and that was one of the biggest changes to our demand model in terms of the need for marketing and i loved it i was like whoa god you know, like, like whatever, whatever we can do to increase the ASP, like is such a benefit because it just trickles down, right? Because every time from that ASP down, you're losing people in that conversion rate. So like, the, you know, the higher that is, the, you know, the more people you can, you know, either lose or put fewer people in the, you know, in that top of the funnel. Um, yeah. So I would say updating the demand model is, is easy or easier, but it's only as good as the data in it. And I know there have been times we love our sales team. Uh, we have a great relationship with our sales team, but there have been times where you've had to crack the whip and say, Hey, I need to know how much demand we need to generate for the next quarter. Go clean up your opportunities and stop using the next quarter as a parking lot. So you're shaking your head because I know that you've had to do that it, a fair amount. It but hurts because like, it's true. Like you're not like we are not the only marketers who have had to do this. So how would you coach other people who need to do the same thing? Um, 
Well, A, first, have a good relationship with your sales rep so that you can kind of lay that hammer down and they know, like, okay, you know, he's, he, they know when there's, you know, when you actually need something to happen. So, like, don't cry wolf with your sales team when you don't actually need it. Um, so, I guess that's the first piece. Um, explain why you need it. Hey, guys, guess what? I'm delivering 70% of your revenue. If you want me to keep doing that, you have to give me accurate data. You know what I mean? Because if your pipeline is inflated next quarter, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, hey, you got plenty of pipeline. What's wrong with you? Why can't you close that? I'm going to deliver demand that'll like incrementally increase that. We're not mentioning that. the exact person who this is, <laughs> even though we're thinking about the same person and I love him. Uh, but how do you get people to clean up their pipeline? So you ask nicely, then they don't do it. Then you lay the hammer down and most do it. And then you still have some stragglers. And so here's, I just do as best I can. Like, hey guys, do this. And then I actually go in and I clean it out myself. So uh, I don't actually go into the opportunities themselves, but if I'm planning, I'll download the whole thing and then I'll go in and I'll just put some rules in. Okay, if the opportunity is older than 7,000 days, I'm just kidding, but like, you know, if the opportunity is older than X number of days, just don't even include it. And then like I can go through and right now because of our size, I kind of know like, oh, there's certain reps that I know use this as a parking lot. So I'm just gonna wipe those out. And then I look at some of the next step notes, honestly. And then, you know, this is not scalable, obviously. So this is like us at our run rate right now, I can do this. But, you know, you need sales pipeline to be as accurate as possible. And, you know, sales reps are a positive bunch of people, right? You have to stay positive in that role. So I think, you know, um, the pipeline will always be inflated and I think that's important because they need to stay positive. You know what I mean? Like you want the glass half full, but you know, um, and there can also be a, just a couple of reps that can actually sour the whole thing too. You know what I mean? You have a couple reps that just do it wrong or not consistently with the everybody else. And all of a sudden you've got like inflated pipeline, you know, which you don't want either. And so, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, there's no clear answer, but I think honestly the relationship with sales is a important part. And then I think, Honestly, like oftentimes marketing makes things seem like so urgent and so critical. And oftentimes like the reps are like, why? You know, and if that's the case, it's kind of like crying wolf. You know, you don't want to get into that relationship with sales. And so like just making sure when something, you know, you don't make something sound urgent unless it really, really is. So we're going to go off topic again, or sorry, off script, but it's all related. Let's talk about that for a second because our head of RevOps, Sam, and us, we're constantly working closely with him. We're using him as the barometer for, hey, when is it time to sound the alarm instead of getting sales all wound up that marketing said, you know, it's a shit show when in reality it's not. So kind of walk people through how you work with Sam to pressure check whether or not it's time to, you know, uh, sound the alarms. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Sam and I are oftentimes looking at these big numbers, like big, you know, like big totals, right? So like, oh, what's the pipeline number look like for next quarter and two quarters out? And honestly, we start with a sniff test. You know what I mean? Like, does it make sense? You know what I mean? Does it make sense that we would actually could have that much pipeline two quarters out from now? You know, and so we really just start with that. Um, and then, you know, it's really, as you mature, you get more intricate and detailed with your reporting. And so like at first you're starting out with just the blunt averages, like, oh, where is this conversion rate wrong? Or where is this conversion rate off? And that, but you're looking at everybody together. 
Well, then as you get more mature, you're like, okay, this conversion rate's off. Now let's dig into the specific reps. You know what I mean? Um, and then see like, cause that's usually where the answer lies is the averages don't like, I don't know the math terms here, but like the, says the ops guy, the, uh. <laughs> the standard deviation, which is completely wrong, but like, you know, the, the far, the further out they are from the average they're you know, it's like you can have the pendulums on huge sides and then the average is in this middle and you got some people closing at 5% and then maybe some people closing at 35% and that is going to throw a model off. And so like then digging into those individual rep, um, metrics then you can start to like okay we need to coach up over here oh why does this person have such a high rate and this person doesn't can they start to like talk together and figure things out um and so yeah it's kind of really kind of digging into that and and then when you do that making sure you're not like accusatory right because now you have individual rep performance and you don't want to be like well they suck fire them you know it's like hey What are we doing? What are we not doing right? How are you know? What can we do better to help that rep out? You know, to to meet these these expectations, these averages. Um, the average, I, I'd say, like averages can throw you off. You know what I mean? So at, and we'll talk about this in the sales cycle too. Averages are like not useful in modeling, really, honestly. You know, and so the more you can get down to like the percent that you know one this percent two this percent three that you know what i mean you're ordering it by the percent of that value instead of using an average um you can usually get better more accurate you know kind of modeling i dig it now two kind of big questions that i want to make sure that we cover we mentioned that this is not a set it and forget it type deal you're revisiting it you know probably weekly at the very uh (laughs) minimum or sorry, uh, probably quarterly at the very minimum or weekly when you're first getting started out. But how do you adjust this over time? What are you looking at adjusting, you know, when you revisit it and make a big change? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, if you started with the five or six metrics that we talked about early on, then I think you're looking to just maybe add additional data to it. You know what I mean? So, um, to make it more accurate. Um, but again, not just because you have the data, but you actually have figured out, okay, this was wrong. You know, my forecast didn't meet, well, you know, the actuals for last month. Oh, well, it's because this metric involves so many other things and maybe it's the average, you know, oh, this is an average and man, we've got wild pendulum swing swings on both sides. And so that's where you can go in like, okay, can I tear that down a little bit? You know what I mean? And make it, add another metric and make it more accurate or add something else in and, you know, and make sure I'm going to meet that forecast, you know, for the next quarter. Um, and I think that's really what you're, what you're looking for. Um, yeah, yeah. You just want to, you know, you want to make sure that it's, it's constantly looking at these historical data points. Uh, and you actually, you know, another thing in these historical data points is you have to be very thoughtful about, the time frame that you're pulling the historical metrics for, I'll give you a quick example. In any of the conversion rate metrics, you need to make sure that, hopefully this doesn't get too complicated, the denominator you're using is only the number of people who have either done something positive or negative. Like they've actually either, like let's say closed loss or one. Closed loss or closed one. Your denominator can't include people that are still 
in that decision period, if that makes sense. So like, if I'm trying to figure out what my close rate from last quarter was, I can't just use last quarter. If it, well, sorry, I'm the day one of Q2. I can't say, oh, what was my close rate last quarter? I can say that, but I have to make sure that what I'm looking at are just closed one and closed loss. So like things that have been completely dispositioned. And oftentimes people get confused and they just look at the total universe of like what's still open and then what was closed. And then they're off because like all the things that are still open haven't had time to like matriculate. So if you're trying to get a historical average, just make sure you know like either your, your denominator is only using things that are actually fully dispositioned and done or you're backing up that analysis to account for the fact that things haven't had time to close yet. Hopefully that makes sense. Did it make sense when I said it out loud? I think so. Okay. I think the, uh, the other thing that I would add is, and it's, it's one of those things that sounds so blatantly obvious, but we often forget it. It's to have context around some of these numbers. And the example that I'll use is we really didn't disqualify people when I first started and we let anyone yes. come yep. in the, like, you know, to meet with our sales team. And we learned over time that that was not the best <laughs> process for a whole slew of reasons that we'll probably get into in another episode. But the conversion rates then were much different than conversion rates, you know, even a quarter or two after we made those changes. So it's important to know when there were really, really big process changes implemented that can significantly skew any of the inputs. Oh, totally. And the one you mentioned happened, and then we also uh, changed our opportunity stages. You know what I mean? And how we treated those, and that completely threw the model. I mean, it was, we were basically just eliminating a stage, which kind of made it a little bit easier. But if you're going in and you're actually changing stages and the definitions, woo, like get ready to start tracking historical data again. You know what I mean? Because things are going to materially change and like, you're gonna be making some guesses for the first couple quarters after those like big company-based changes. But yeah, those are good ones, um, you know, as you kind of see things happening or changing, you know, in your business too. Yeah, definitely take those into account. So two more questions for you before we wrap up. The first one is, and we had mentioned it a little bit at the beginning of the episode. So this is now, I think the third time where we've put out a piece of content around this. And a lot has changed from the first time that we published that post and the model, and even the second time when you presented at demand. So how has our demand model changed and evolved over time? What have we learned? Yeah, um, it's a good question. So, you know, our demand model got pretty sophisticated uh, to the point where I was including the amount of pipeline in the current quarter that is forecasted to push to next quarter. Um, you know, how much pipeline we have in there, what our sales cycles are, you know, I had all this stuff in there. And, you know, it was, what's interesting is like the, the end part was accurate, but like a lot of these metrics were off, you know what I mean? But it ended up like, almost like pipeline waiting, you know what I mean? You end up like at the end of the day, you still made your goals, but some of these were, were off, some of those were higher, some were lower. Um, and so like, just basically changing the, you know, like making sure that you're looking at it, you're, you're, you're okay to change it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, um, yeah, I don't think I answered the question though. <laughs> I'm looking at the tabs here, so I'll probably take a shot at it. I think what we're, uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the new business versus renewals. I think 
much more granularly and accounting for that because we're on the hook for you know a new business uh, revenue and pipeline contribution. So just making sure that that's completely separated out. I think we've gotten really good at evaluating uh, different churn estimates, uh, some being worst case scenario, some being best case scenario. And like we mentioned earlier, it's really good to have both uh, views of if it goes really well, this is what we're looking at. And if it goes completely off the rails, this is what we're looking at. And then I think the other time that we've been looking at or other thing that we've been looking at is we've been growing our sales team so much and we'll continue to grow uh, over the next you know nine months of just ramp time of when those reps are you know fully uh, contributing to their quota or just getting ramped up and accounting for the fact that some reps have been at metadata longer know how to sell metadata like more than others and some are are just getting acclimated so it's it's just adding more complexity and and accounting for that yeah and as you go as you're growing yeah that's where you know we were talking about the individual rep you know what i mean and that's hard to model you know what i mean you've got new reps and you've got more new reps than seasoned reps for a while and yeah and that's difficult and i think you know, I think what we were talking about and kind of getting to is we've changed the way we're looking at it now. You know what I mean? And so like we don't get as intricate in that model anymore because we've had such consistency for the last year and a half in that model that now we're just actually planning based on a pipeline coverage. And that's what a lot of companies do. We're there, we're there now where we basically take the basics like, okay, here's the revenue goal for the company, here's the percent that needs to be delivered for marketing. And then we know because that close rate is so consistent over time that we just say, okay, great. This is the amount of revenue we need. This is the close rate. So this is the pipeline we need to deliver. And we just have a pipeline coverage. And then we account for the timing. So one of the things that we use you know, is that sales cycle. And the average is helpful, but it's only helpful in terms of like the, the blocking and like the, the big planning blocks. So like if I know that my average sales cycle is 90 days, great, I'm a quarter ahead. So I need to know like on average, I need to be planning for demand out one quarter ahead. 180 days, great, two quarters ahead. But what we've realized is the better, more accurate metric to use is this like the percent that close within a certain time frame. And so if I'm in the beginning of Q1 and I'm planning for demand in Q2, I have 180 days, right? It's till the end of Q2. And so if I look at, well, what percent of my opportunities close within 180 days, that's a pretty good metric of like, okay, let's say it's 80% close within that amount of time frame. Then that tells me, okay, only 80% of the demand I'm going to generate this quarter is going to close next quarter. So then I plus up that activity a little bit to account for the fact that, okay, only 80% of this is going to close in 180 days. So I need to actually do more so that I get more volume in that can close within that 180 days and then make that number. And so that's, you know, another kind of complicated topic, but uh, hopefully understandable over just audio <laughs> without a visual. But um, it's a good thing to, to look at that, that percent that closed within a certain amount of time. And also that helps you in the current quarter, too, because let's say you're like, oh, no, we actually don't have enough demand or pipeline right now to meet our number in the current quarter. Well, guess what you can do? Oh, hey, I know that 20% of our, you know, opportunities close within 30 days. So I'm going to try, you know what I mean? So then you can use that to say like, okay, there's actually a chance I can deliver some demand this quarter and have it close this quarter too. I dig it. 
Now we're coming up, coming up in here on uh, some time, but I'm gonna trigger you for a second. So final question. I don't have historical data. What do I do to build a demand model? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Told you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you don't have historical data or more likely it's probably like you think you have it, but it's not accurate. Um, I guess the first thing would be like, don't do a demand model then. Because <laughs> it's going to be wrong. And then, like I said earlier, you're going to throw yourself off and you're either going to plan way too high or way too low and you're not going to really hit what you need. Um, so fix it first. So like if you don't, if you if you're questioning your historical data, like just fix that first and then see if like, is there a way to fix like some of the historical data so that you can at least like start to plan? Or is it something where, wow, we weren't even tracking this. And so now we got to start tracking it. But it's more likely that you've been tracking it, but like your reports are wrong or you know what I mean? It's like you're just not looking at it right. So it's more likely that you're tracking what you need, but maybe you just don't have the right reports to look at. Um, one thing that can absolutely throw that off, though, in the historical data is inconsistent sales rep. Performance is the wrong word, but like process. Yeah, that's the right word. So let's say you have stage definitions but they're really loose and the reps all consider them differently, right? And so like one rep has these BANT criteria and creates an op. The other one has the same BANT and doesn't, you know what I mean? Because they, you know, they're not exactly, you know, either the process isn't clear or, you know, et cetera. And so that can really throw you off. Um, so yeah, go fix that data, fix the big pieces first that you need, like those six metrics first. See if you can get, you know, at least a quarter's worth of data that's accurate on that. And then start there. And then, you know, then you've got at least a, ba a, a baseline to start from and then you can start to, op, you know, like improve it over time. Awesome. Well, I think we're just here at time. Thanks for listening, everybody. And make sure to subscribe to Demand Gen U and keep sending us topics for future episodes. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.